0: Welcome to the Come Up Steps to Success podcast, where we bring on the most ambitious artists, athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs to share their story, their mindset, and their secrets to success. This is the Come Up Steps to Success podcast with your hosts, James Lawson and Courtney Stephen. This episode, we have a great one. I wasn't able to make it due to an emergency, but you are in for a treat. Courtney and our special guest, Robert Thomas Bethel, take us deep into how to build an empire, starting with a plan, and how leaders need to overcome their pride and ego and ask for help. Listen, grab a notepad for this one, but if you're driving or working out, make sure you read the show notes for a quick summary after the episode at thecomeuppodcast.com slash episodes 26. Now,
1: enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Come Up Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Steven, and today we're doing things a little bit different for a couple reasons. Well, firstly, this is a solo show because our main man, Jimmy, he is not here today for certain reasons. But you know what? When one person falls down, the rest of the team got to pick them up and keep moving. So what we're going to do is keep moving. And it's important to keep moving because we got a very, very special guest on the show my good friend, Bob Bethel, who is a veteran business advisor and a turnaround expert with over 40 years of experience leading businesses in all different industries. I recently had a chance to read Bob's new book, Strengthen Your Business, Fail Proof Strategies from the Man Who Has Rescued 77 Businesses. Yes, 77 businesses. Real businesses. This man has all the war wounds and battle scars to back up the stuff he talks about. So make sure you guys are paying close attention. Get a piece of paper out and take some notes. In his book, he teaches the exact strategies and tactics that he has used to bring dying businesses back to life over and over again during his career. As someone who started a few small businesses myself, I found this book to be extremely valuable. And not only that, it was surprisingly easy to read. So once I got into it, I I had a hard time putting it down, to say the least. So it's with great pleasure that today I welcome to the Come Up Podcast, Mr. Bob Bethel. So, hey, Bob, how you doing?
2: Courtney, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for that introduction. I probably ought to just hang up right now because <laughs> it won't get any better than what you said.
1: Hey, well, you know what? It's not every day we get to speak to somebody who— um, well, really, it seems like you've done it all. 77 different businesses. I can't even think of 10 different industries, let alone, you know, businesses. So I, I guess we want to just take it back to where it all started. And for me personally, I'm curious as to when when did you realize that you had a knack for business or maybe that you had a passion for business? When did this all kind of, you know, start to clear up for you and you realize that this is what you were supposed to do with your life?
2: Well. Courtney, it was because I was fighting for my life. I should say, uh, I started a I started a business right out of college, and like most twenty one year olds, uh, I'm sure you may have suffered this this same disease, Courtney. Uh, I knew everything.
3: Mm-hmm. I was
2: I was one of the smartest people around, or so I thought. Right. So I thought I had. I thought I had all the answers. Uh, I started the business. It did extremely well for a couple of years. Then we hit a recession, and Courtney, I found out exactly how dumb I was. Found out I didn't have the answer to hardly anything. Um, I fought that business to keep it alive for two more years. Uh, was very heavy in debt, uh, reached a point that I was totally broke. Called the bank, told them I was broke. Um, And at that point, I learned what it means when you sign a personal guarantee with a financial institution. had to sell my house. I was told everything I had to pay off the debt, Uh, but that didn't pay it all off. So I worked out payment plans with The rest of my lenders uh, took me a couple of years to pay that off. I did not declare bankruptcy. Uh, Everyone got their money. Uh, I lived on a two-string budget, had two small children at the time, and was extremely fortunate that a very wealthy friend of my parents who owned 20-something businesses, he had retired, had turned management over to other people. They were doing a terrible job. He came to see me. He said, I think you've learned a valuable lesson. I don't think this will ever happen to you again because I don't think you will allow it. My businesses are in trouble. I'm going to give you a very nice piece of the equity, and I want you to go in and clean them up and make them profitable. And I've been doing it for 52 years since. I I love doing it. Uh, Because I learned so much, Courtney, in failing in that first business that I realized, and the reason I wrote the book Strengthen Your Business, is I realized over time, Courtney, businesses don't have to fail. Mm. You know, 50% 50 of all businesses that start end up failing and what i have found in my career in business that's not necessary there there are things that you can do to prevent a business from failing pure and simple and i appreciate you saying what you said about the book being easy to read because these things i have found these things to in fact be easy to deal with in, in businesses.
1: So do you think that a lot of the time it's really, you know, maybe people can't readily identify where the holes in their business are or the things that are going wrong? Because I mean, I read the book and a lot of the things that you explain, a lot of the concepts that you use, they seem after you explain them, they seem like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I don't necessarily need to have a rocket science degree to understand that, but to intuitively apply these concepts, you know, you have to have some form of experience or guidance. So like in your, in your experience, what is one of the main reasons why businesses fail?
2: Courtney, I probably have in 52 years, I've probably looked at three or 400 businesses. I typically get called in by a financial institution, bank, mortgage company, insurance company, that's made a large loan, they realize at a point in time that the collateral they're holding uh, would not pay their loan off. So they know they're in trouble. They know they're going to lose money. So they call me in to see if I'm willing to buy the business and clean it up. And they cut a favorable deal with me to do that. Mm -hmm. here's what i've found i have never in 52 years gone into a business that was in trouble that had a plan Mm.
3: okay Mm. and
2: i don't mean i don't mean a lot of times when when i go in the first thing that i tell the employees the team is we're going to create a plan and i'm not going to create it you are we're all going to do it together, and as soon as I say we're going to create a plan, Courtney, their eyes glaze over, <laughs> and, and you, can see them, you can see them thinking, oh, dear God, this is going to be his idea of solving the problem. We're going to make a plan, and then I tell them, look, guys, I'm not talking about a Harvard business plan. I'm a pilot. I fly with a flight plan
3: hmm
2: go go watch a football team watch the coach prowling the sideline he's got a game plan now courtney you play football let me ask you this what in the hell would happen if john elway had trotted out on the field last night and he may have been better off by, by doing it but <laughs> last night but but if he had prodded out on the field into the huddle and said, snap the ball on three, and that's all he said.
3: We'll figure the rest out on the, the fly. other
2: team members say? Okay? Right. They're going to look at him and go, John, what's the play? What's the plan?
3: Exactly. Because
2: the plan tells everyone what they're doing. Okay? Just that simple. So, I don't need a Harvard Business School plan. What I want, Courtney, is to create a 90 day plan that tells us who is going to do what, to whom, when, and for how much. Because then we're like a well oiled offense of a football team. Everybody knows what everyone is supposed to do, what everyone is accountable for. Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: that's number one. Number one. Because as I say, I've never taken one of these over that had a plan. The second thing, I've never taken one over that measured performance. Now again, I'm gonna I'm gonna revert to the football team. Let's go out there before the game starts and take all of the lines off the field it's first and how many i don't know we don't we don't have any we don't have any chains we don't have any yard markers how the hell are we going to know where we are and what we have left for a first down you see what i'm saying
1: that would just be pickup football
2: yeah yeah so so by the same token as we develop this 90 day plan okay here's where we are we know where we are today We're on the 10-yard line, our 10-yard line. We know that. Now, we got to get to the 20 to have a first down. So how are we going to get there? We're going to measure our performance, just like we measure yardage on a football field. Mm -hmm. So we decide what things that we're going to measure. We may want to measure. And in some of my companies, we have today nine operating companies that we own. Every one of these companies operate to what I'm telling you. We have whiteboards that we mark every single afternoon that tells all of the team what we have achieved in the last 24 hours. Now, it may be revenue, it may be in a manufacturing facility, it may be units produced, but We have boards up, and we put them in areas, Courtney, that every single team member can see every day. We don't hide them in somebody's office. They're in a break room or in the production part of the plant or in a hallway, but I want everyone seeing them every day so that they know where we are. We're either on schedule, behind schedule, or ahead of schedule. We don't have to have meetings or send out memos. So answering your question, two things. Have a plan. We do it 90 days. Break that 90-day plan into monthly plans, then break a month into weekly plans so everyone marches into that company on Monday morning. They know what the plan is for that week, and at the end of Monday afternoon, they know where we are measurement wise and the same on Tuesday again we're on schedule we're behind schedule or we're ahead of schedule that's simple okay right so by by empowering the team and it's again it it's so simple because it is totally related to sport the tight end knows when the quarterback calls the play the tight end knows his responsibility on that play. But by the same token, he knows what the fullback responsibility is. Am I right or wrong?
1: Right. It's a team game for a reason. And it's not, you know, golf or something where you can go out there and keep the game plan to yourself. You're saying by being inclusive, And actually decentralizing the information, you're empowering people to probably make better decisions without having to, you know, occupy the time of their superiors or, you know, have excess meetings, like you're saying. Things are more efficient when you decentralize the information and include everybody in the strategy.
2: Absolutely. But in addition to that, Courtney, you take advantage of not putting everything on the shoulders of the owner. There are so many there's so many owners that I come in and take companies over that have tried to carry the entire load themselves. My God, if you've got a hundred people in your organization, why not take advantage of their strength as well? You don't have to shoulder the whole load. That's insane. Right. But I, I see it happen day after day, and and by the way, this has worked, Courtney. In 25 different industries for 52 years. This isn't. I, I'm not up here preaching something and didn't write the book about something I've done one or two times. I've been doing this day in and day out for 52 years, and it works. So my thinking in writing the book was this: if if I have watched this work for fifty two years in twenty five different industries. And I will say this to you, and, and I'm sincere in saying this, I will take credit for five percent of these turnarounds. The ninety-five percent is attributed to the team, okay? Mm-hmm. And and I'm sincere in that. So if if anyone listening to your show today has a company, uh, consider this book to be failure insurance because that's what it is. Right. Because if we, if we have made it work on 77 companies that were at the edge of bankrupt, that were broke, that were in default on their indebtedness, if we can make that work, then, if your company isn't at the edge of bankruptcy, if it's doing okay today, then give this a shot. Look at it. It's as you said, as you said at the introduction. This isn't rocket science. It's it's practical. It's it's not some wild mathematical theory. Uh, I would love, and I have read the book, the Four Hour Workweek. I can't make a four hour work week work for me, Courtney, Mm -hmm. but this book works.
3: Right.
1: And I feel like a lot of the strategies that you're talking about, we can apply them to not necessarily just large corporations, but even a lot of the entrepreneurs and even to some degree, the coaches of teams and like teachers running classrooms, maybe even the head of household in some situations, we can apply these strategies Um, to our daily life and our daily experience, like the whiteboard strategy that you're talking about, most anybody can get access to a grease board, whiteboard, chalkboard, something like that, where, you know, you have, you have a scoreboard pretty much in the house, in the office, where everybody on the team can be up to date. And, you know, like you're saying, what's the down and distance? (laughs) Like what are we trying to accomplish today so that tomorrow we're in a position to hit our goals for the week, for the month, for our 90-day period for our year.
2: Precisely. And and I'll even add to what you're saying. I think in most probability that what we're discussing is more applicable to small organizations or, or even a one- or two-person company. And here's why. I had had an office in downtown Nashville for over 40 years and bought companies all over the country. And a few years ago, my son, who was involved in the business, took over the daily operations, and I took over acquisition work, which I had always done, and finance work, and left the daily operations up to my son. So I decided to, in order to get out of his way, that I would move my office to my home. All, all my kids were married. Uh, I lived on a farm outside of Nashville, and I was really excited about doing that. So religiously, for over 40 years, I would get up each morning, I would feed my horses, I would rush back to the house, I'd shower, I'd put a coat and tie on, and I would drive into downtown Nashville, 15 miles away. I did that for 40 years. So, I moved all of my stuff out of my office downtown, moved it to the house, had a wonderful office there. I say, kids were grown, the house was quiet, and on my first day, I got up, went to the barn to feed my horses, and realized that for the first time in 40 years, I didn't have to rush downtown. So instead of going back to the house and going to work, I saddled up a horse and went for a ride. I I wasn't in a hurry. When I got back to the house, I took my shower. I didn't put a suit on. Uh, I put on some sports shirt, went to my office, looked around. turned on television. And, Courtney, it was just wonderful. And after, after a few weeks went by, I realized I hadn't accomplished a single thing. After 40 years of discipline, being by myself in my home office, my mind just turned to mud. And I kind of, Mentally slapped myself and said, "Wait a minute! You're going to have to start treating yourself like you have treated these distressed businesses." So, guess what I did? Courtney? I got my whiteboard out. I sat down and created a business plan for me mm-hmm. with weekly goals. Okay, because I had to get back in the discipline of work. So I, I think that your point is very valid that smaller one one and two person operations need this information and need to measure themselves. What I found out very quickly was I could not allow myself to get up during the work day and unless I had already accomplished my goals and go do something around the farm. You see, I I couldn't, I couldn't blend those things and achieve my work goal.
1: Right. It was important for you to keep the structure. It
2: required discipline. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right.
1: So in a lot of ways um, we can treat anything like a business, as long as, you know, the end goal is productivity you know, you put a plan to it, you measure your results and you track your progress. That's going to be the best formula for you to really achieve any kind of success. And I mean, that I guess.
2: Precisely correct.
1: I know that that transfers over for me to just being an athlete, Um, specifically when we're working out in the off season, we'll often test ourselves to see where our body is at in the beginning of the year. You know, we'll lift certain key lifts, you know, the squat, the cleans, Bench press, things like that. And then at the end of the offseason, we want to see our progress to, you know, track was all of the things that we were doing, were they actually working towards a goal that we set out? So I, I could definitely see how that transfers over from big business to small business and small business to other aspects of life. But um there was a few things there was a few things you said that really stuck out to me. And I was I'm just interested to learn more about what's your opinion on them. You you spoke about um you know, incorporating a lot of other people into the planning of, um, this, this whole strategy. Um, would you say that you're more, you facilitate and you, you offer guidance because the book, it's more like echoing your voice. I would assume this is the things that you would say in these town halls or these group meetings that you're having. You're just scaling that up and able to share that information with a much larger, larger audience now. But when you go into this group, how do you, um, you know, if the business is not doing too well, morale might be down, certain people's confidence might be down. Um, how do you how do you kind of rally the troops to inspire their confidence to even get those people to speak up and offer their expertise because they're on the front lines really working in the business and you got to pull certain information out of them to form this strategy?
2: Well, it's a great question. And and here's I always have the opportunity before I buy a business of setting down with the owner and discussing where the business is. And the first question I always ask is, do you have a business plan? Every single time I've been told yes. Yeah. Then I ask, may I see it? Every single time, again, I'm told, well, it's not in writing. Then I ask, Do the employees, are they aware of this business plan? And I'm always told, oh, sure. Then I'm told all of our problems are external. We've got too much competition. The banks are unfair, uh, whatever. But it's always external to the company. Then I ask, are the employees aware of the condition of the company? Courtney, every single time, I've got the same answer, and it's, oh, God, no. If they knew how bad things were, they'd all leave. The first thing that I do when I buy the company the very first day is I call all of the employees together, and I tell them, sit down. We're going to take the phones off the hook. We're going to lock the doors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you. Everything I know about the company, the good, the bad, the ugly, I've done that to over 10,000 employees. I've never had anyone leave. Really? And as a matter of fact, what I most of the time hear Courtney, is, well, you know, we knew the business wasn't doing well, but we thought it was a lot worse. And it goes back to what President Roosevelt said. The greatest fear people have is fear itself when they don't know. It's it's the fear of the unknown. So I bring everyone on board. I tell them we together because another thing I found in failing in my first business, Courtney, is this. I thought I owned the company. My name, my name was on the debt. I'd signed the the loan. Uh, the stock was in my name. Uh, I own the company. Well, I was wrong. I didn't. I wasn't the only owner of the company, because everyone that gets the paycheck from a company is an owner. They're at risk just as much as I was. They their family depends on that paycheck. That's the way they pay their rent or their house payment, their car payment, buy food, educate their children. They're an owner. Our vendors people that trust us enough to sell something to us on a 30-day net pay, they're owners. There are right. lots of owners of a, of a business. So by by empowering the employees and saying, look, we're going to do this together, and we don't have time for any bullcrap internal conflict, we've, we've got our plan, we've got our goal, we know how we're going to measure it, Everyone's accountable for their part in it, and we're all owners of this process, right. and it works.
3: Because that,
1: that you're showing, you're illustrating to the people, you know, why are you accountable? I'm accountable to you, but why are you also accountable to this, this organization and the rest of the people that are connected to it? Because there are so many different parts that have to work together.
2: Precisely. Precisely and just stop it. just stop and think if you've got a 30 40 100 person company and you as the owner feel that it is your role to make all of the decisions look at the people you're cutting out look at the, the the mental horsepower by not including all of those people in your thought process mm-hmm. you 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 as the CEO or president or whatever, you have the final say. You're going to make the final decision, but you owe it to the company. You owe it to yourself, and you owe it to every single team member to get as much input as you possibly can. I, I can't tell you the number of times that really, really great ideas. I don't mean half-assed ideas, Courtney. I mean ideas that would just stop the entire company in their track have come from some of the lowest paid team members in that company because they were looking at it from a different angle, from a different position. So I want everyone's input. It doesn't cost anything. And the thing about it, when, when you include people and empower them, as opposed to putting it all on your own shoulder, uh, it is amazing at at how well it works.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. And even uh, in my own experience, you know, this season we had a rough year on my team. We started out zero wins, eight losses, and uh, we play an 18-game season. So that was almost ruined our chances of going 500 before we even hit halfway mark of the season. So we had our own, um, you know, culture that had to change a little bit and a leadership change that happened and things like that. And what I found was similar to what you're explaining is when the when the new coach came in, you know, nothing against the old coach at all, but it was like he first had to assess the situation and go to the ground level and talk to the people who were really there and get their feedback to, in order to, you know, build a plan going forward. And we found success in the second half of the season. Now I don't know directly what to attribute that to. There's a lot of factors that play into it, but a lot of these things that you're explaining from the corporate world definitely traveled over to the sports world. And I've seen them work, um, you know, on that scale too. So it's, it's interesting. Well,
2: I have followed Canadian football for a long while. Uh, Kent Austin, was uh in the same high school as three of my kids and uh Kent and his wife are uh big buddies of, of theirs to this day. So I, I I follow Canadian football.
3: Oh,
1: so you know what's going on then. You know the you know the legend. You know Kent Austin got his uh picture up on the rafters in Saskatchewan too because he was a court- great cup yeah. quarterback over there.
2: Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty and a great guy.
1: Oh a hundred percent hundred he's he's still a part of the yeah. organization calling the shots and yeah. that's and that's a part yeah. of leadership too um at certain times you know he called in other people just like you're saying to take a little bit of the load maybe off of his shoulders and then help him execute his sure. plan a little bit better so that's just another concrete example of using all of the resources that are available to you
2: absolutely and and you know there are a lot of people that that consider doing that a weakness. To themselves. I see it exactly the opposite. It is a strength when someone has the gut to accept the fact that they don't know everything. They don't have all of the answers. But the thing about it is, Courtney, we're not supposed to. One person's not supposed to carry the entire load. Right. But I'll tell you, it, it sure works wonders when you clue everyone on your team in the entire process definitely
1: i could see that for sure so i wanted to uh kind of change gears a little bit and talk about how it seems like it seems like these days a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur almost like there's an appeal to be an entrepreneur, same way as when I was growing up, a lot of people wanted to be like Deion Sanders. They wanted to be an athlete. They wanted to be, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. Sure. or or, you know, sure. Wayne Gretzky or something like that. But nowadays, you know, we're looking up to the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. But just based on what you, you've seen over your career and all the different situations you've been through and you know all the different industries you worked in Like, what are your opinions on, you know, following your dreams and starting a business and trying to become an entrepreneur starting from scratch? Like, what is your opinion on that? Is that something that, uh, is that a dream that people should follow?
2: I, I think this, matter of fact, oddly odd that you would ask this question because last night I was reading and I went back and I pulled up the past one hundred years interest rates. Okay? I printed those off. It's, it's probably twenty pages and it covers prime rate, uh, it it covers uh, personal loan rates, federal fund rate, so all of these different rates. Here here's here's the bottom line. If if you go back and you look at interest rate for the past 100 years on personal loans. The last time that loans were as cheap as they are today for
3: business was 1950. Wow. Okay? That's
2: 67 years. All right?
3: It's a long time. It is
2: the perfect, perfect time. If if you want to start a business and you're going to have to borrow some money, you would not have found a cheaper time. We're in a growing economy. A perfect time than right now. Now, having said that, what mistake I see so often, Courtney, is this, you and I get Talk and we start discussing an idea that you and I have about starting a business. And we maybe sit down, we have a couple of beers, we talk about this. We say, Well, let's get back together over the weekend and kick this around some more. So we do that several times and we convince ourselves and each other that we've got an idea, a good idea for a business. So we both have saved up a little money. We go sit down with a banker. Banker is in business to loan money.
3: Right. Banker
2: is not in business to sit there and say, no, no, guys. Oh, this no, no.
3: <laughs> right.
2: Matter of fact, lender liability laws now in this country prohibit bankers from getting into management philosophy of a business. Good. So anyway— we have, we have convinced ourselves, and we've convinced our buddy, the banker, uh, that we've got a great idea for a business. So we start our business. Now, the thing that I would suggest to, to anyone, I do it religiously. Every time I take over a business, I do this. It's easy to do, and it works. And I spell it out again in the book, and that is, I I get online, and back before we had the internet for me, I would get trade journals, and I would find the top five most successful people in the industry that I want to get in, mm-hmm. or the businesses that I have bought. The top five most successful people in that industry, and I pick up the phone and I call them.
3: Ooh.
2: Now. You would say, you would say, well, yeah, okay, they're not going to talk to you. Well, no, I don't get them on that first call, but I leave word with their secretary, and I tell them, I understand your boss is one of the most successful people in this industry, and I need some advice, just five minutes. Will, will you ask him to call me? Go so help me, Courtney. Every single time for fifty two years I've gotten that phone call returned really okay. the minute that the minute they call and that includes several fortune five hundred presidents of Fortune Five Hundred companies that have returned that call. The reason is because we're men, it's called male ego. Somebody wants Courtney's advice, of course I'm going to call them back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. When they call me back, I ask them, could I come visit you for just a few minutes and get some advice? You are considered one of the leaders in the country, in your industry. Again, every time I've been told, yeah, come on. Mm. Now I sit down with them and I have my plan. The team and I have created. I take my financial information and I put it right in front of them and say, "If this were your company, what would you do mm. now? What I have just done as opposed to you and I going to start our business, see we've been operating in a vacuum we've been selling each other on how good our plan was, and our idea was i don't I don't accept that. I take it to an industry expert who is successful. I want him to be him or her to be honest with me. I want him or her to tell me, here's what I'd change. Here's what I'd do, Bob and Courtney. No, I I hear your idea, but I don't think that'll work. And here's why, because I've been doing it 25 years and your idea is stupid.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Wouldn't it be better for us to know that day one, Courtney, before we invest our money, borrow money, and then turn around and go bankrupt?
3: Yeah, it's a
1: lot better to get that uh, little bit of shame on the front end than that big bank chasing you down on the back end.
2: Yeah. If you if you were a quarterback, what position do you play?
1: I'm the quarterback of the defense. I play free safety.
2: Okay. Would it be a benefit to you maybe to have a day to set down Dion? Sense,
1: I'm there. <laughs> Sign me up.
2: Okay. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly my point. So I would say to anyone listening to your show, if you're thinking about starting a business, if you have just started a business, if you have owned a business for 20 years, identify the very best in your industry and have the balls to pick up the phone and call and ask them for a box. Because they want to help.
1: That's amazing. You know what? And I think the mental barrier of just assuming that you're going to get rejected would stop people from even going down that train of thought in most scenarios.
2: You're exactly right. And we both know the three words that make up assume.
1: Oh, make an
3: ass make, out of you and me. Make
2: an ass out of you and me. <laughs> and you're exactly you're exactly right. There is a mental barrier. Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna he wouldn't talk to me, no. So we sell ourselves that we can't do something instead of trying. Right.
1: So um you 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 have nine businesses that you're running currently. Is that is that correct? Correct. That so, is correct. So you obviously you've gotta be pretty busy. You definitely have a lot of systems in place to help you manage those kinds of uh you know you're going to have a different appointments, different meetings, different places to be. There there aren't even 9 days in the week. So um what are some of the ways that you balance between being involved in so many different projects?
2: Well, we have a really good organization. Everyone knows their role in it. Uh we don't you won't see anyone in our organization standing around uh in the morning around the coffee pot saying, well, what are we going to do today? <laughs> Everyone knows what we're going to do today and tomorrow and the next day. So we know our plan. Uh, we we have good people. Uh, another thing that I didn't mention to you is I let it be known on day one that we will not be giving raises. We don't give raises.
1: We give bonuses. Oh, okay. Bonuses. We give
2: bonuses, and here's the reason. Look at it this way: Let's say it's December 31st, 2017, and you're in my company has had a very successful year. We've made a lot of good money. So here's what we're going to do: We're going to get we've got a hundred people that work for us, Courtney. We're going to give them all a 10% raise starting January 1, 2018. Mm-hmm. So next year we have another really good year. It's now December 31st, 2018. We give everyone another 10% raise. We have raised our cost of labor 20% in 13 months. Mm-hmm. But we didn't raise the price of our products. Now, when you give raises for past performance, what you're doing is you're jeopardizing your future going into an unknown period of time. We don't know if 2018 is going to be a recession, hard times. Uh, We're going to face massive competition. We know nothing about the future. But we have bet that it's going to be better because we've just given everyone a raise. Now, if you do it our way, our our method. It's December 31st of 2017. We've got money in the bank. We know what we have done in 2017. So to give everyone a bonus for doing a good job, I'm not jeopardizing 2018. I'm not raising our overhead for 2018, okay? And our people, I would say over the years, our bonuses have been at least three times what the average increase of a raise has been in our industry.
1: And I would assume that because you're using that bonus structure, you're, you're also enticing these people to, you know, not stand around the coffee pot and just wait for their salary to, you know, come through. They're actually Precisely. pushing towards these goals.
2: You hit it. You hit the nail right on the head. Because that's the reason the boards are so important. They look up there. They want those boards. They want to exceed those goals because they know they're going to be rewarded for that performance.
1: And uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, we're all in business to make money, right? I think that's part of what the book says. Even if you're in a nonprofit organization, and really the purpose of your organization is to you know, deliver meals to homeless people or you're building schools or whatever is the good deed that you want to do. At the end of the day, everybody has to make money and push towards the goals that allow the business's doors to stay open. So could you talk a little bit? Could you talk a little bit about um, having a profit mindset and just how that all plays in together with the motivating the employees and, you know, just structure of your business and just keeping profit as that number one goal because I know sometimes people shy away from shy away from that even though we all know that you're in business to make dollars
2: precisely correct and and when I come into a company I I do this intentionally but I will ask uh, in our first meeting tell me what business this company is in and if it's an engineering company I will be told one thing and if it's uh, a marketing company. I'll be told something else. And, uh, when everyone has thrown out the business they think we're in, I I say you're all wrong. We're in the money making business. Period. Period. Because it is so easy in a company to get caught up. If 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 you're an engineering company and you're working on design something. I understand it. It, It's part of the process to be excited about innovations that have been created and so on and so forth. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the entire company, everyone in it, must recognize we must make a profit, first and foremost. the, The famous economist John Kenneth Galbert, Probably said it best when he said, "Without the short run, there is no long run," mm-hmm. and and it is it is so true. So what what I try and point out is l- let's let's look at our overhead. Let's let's realize that we have a certain overhead to cover. When when we have covered that over, and I, I teach this, I teach this to the entire team. I want them to understand it because it's easy. If if you take let's just let's just say that our overhead, we add up all of our expense for the month, and let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. And again, using the whiteboard, and I'll sit down and bring have lunch brought in so everyone can can listen and hear and understand. And I answer all of the questions. Okay, we add all of our expense, our rent or our mortgage payment, uh, all of our costs, uh, payroll, utilities, everything comes to a roughly a hundred thousand a month. Okay, we're going to operate Monday through Friday, so we're going to operate twenty days a month. Twenty into a hundred thousand, five thousand dollars a day. We have a Cost of five thousand dollars a day to operate this company. Now, once we hit a hundred thousand dollars, then all of a sudden we're at break even. Now, now is the time to, just like a runner goes into his runner's kit at the end of the race. Now it's time for us to really pile the revenue on because we've covered our costs. Okay, so we're going to make a higher percentage of profit once we've covered our overhead. Mm. And when everyone understands that, then we announce on a monthly basis, as of right this minute, we've covered our overhead for the month of December. Throw it in high gear. Mm. We're making more profit from here to the 31st. And when. When the team understands that, then they start to develop a 30-day mentality. But if they if they don't understand that, if you are not proclaiming that you have now hit break-even, and if you have not taken the time to teach your team what that means, then they're going to come in tomorrow just like they did the first day of the month. Nothing changes. I'm at work. See what I'm saying? My people, people on the other hand, say, my God, we've hit break-even. It's only the 15th of the month. We're going to pile the hell out of profits. God, we're going to get great bonuses this quarter. This is marvelous. Mm -hmm. So they are working like crazy because they know they're going to make more money.
1: Right. So you're really taking the company's large long-term goals and, like you said, breaking the long-term down into the short-term and then relating that to the daily goals of what the employees are really working towards so they can quantify, all right, this activity that I'm doing is working towards this goal. So then when they actually hit that goal, now there's added motivation because they know, all right, this is going to help us all at the end of the quarter, at the end of the month, at the end of however long we're, we're in a better position to help ourselves and help the overall company. We might hit some bonuses because we're, we're we're hitting our goals. We're hitting our targets. We're doing what we're here to do. That's a fulfilling, you know, notion. Like when you show up and you know that you're actually getting something done. I know a lot of times you feel like a hamster in a wheel because you're just working, working and you don't see the fruit of the labor. But this is a concrete yeah. way to really give people satisfaction in what they're doing day in and day out. Exactly right.
2: I think I think you have a, a really great grasp of what I have attempted to explain and and what I know truly works, Courtney.
1: Hey, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I read nonstop. I would rather read books than uh watch TV. So I've read I've read a bunch of them, like you mentioned the four-hour work week, different books like that, you know, all the ones that are in the top list for people to read. But your book stands out to me because it's applicable and you can Clearly pick out tactics that you can apply to your own business, your own organization, your own team. And, you know, like you're saying, the results, they're proven over time. So it's just a matter of applying the principles and waiting on the results. So...
2: Well, I appreciate that. I really do.
1: Definitely, and we'll include um, all the Amazon links and whatnot, so the reader, uh, the readers, they soon to be readers, the listeners, can uh, find out where they can get the book if they just go check it out at um, the Come Up Podcast dot com. But as we're coming towards the right. end, as we're coming towards the end of this interview, we always ask our guests two questions, and the first question is. In real life, you're a superhero, not like a comic book superhero, but a real life superhero. And because you're a superhero, you have a superpower. Now, if you were to describe what that skill is that has allowed you to reach the success that you've had over your career, what would you describe that superpower as?
2: Well, Courtney, I don't see it as superpower, but I will say this. I I attribute all of the good things that have happened to me since my first business failed uh, by accepting the fact that I'm not the smartest bear in the wood uh I lost my ego, and it was a great thing. I lost my ego when I failed in that first business that first business i was I was too proud go out and ask. I'm I'm not too proud anymore. I love asking things that I don't know. I don't consider it a weakness. I consider it my greatest strength. In rolling up my sleeve, uh I I believe that I should be there before the team arrives and I believe that I should be there after the team leaves. And I believe that it is my responsibility to lead. You manage assets and liabilities. You lead people. But I consider my greatest strength is being totally fearless in exposing my ignorance and therefore asking for help. Because people people I have worked with. All nationalities, all colors, I've owned several international engineering companies I've worked with all religions, and what I have found in fifty two years is all people of all colors and creeds and religions, we all want the same thing for ourselves and our families. So if you're honest with people uh, if if you lead them uh and if you work your tail off to get all of the questions answered by the very best talent that you can find. I actually we we were doing engineering work for Westinghouse nuclear division many years ago, an engineering company that I bought. I picked up the phone and called the chairman of Westinghouse Electric. Guess what? I told his secretary I had bought a company that was doing business with Westinghouse Nuclear, and I needed some advice. Would she pass on to Mr. Kirby that I would appreciate him calling me? I owned that engineering company for seven years. I was able to talk to Mr. Kirby, the chairman of the board of Westinghouse Electric, and I was nothing. Okay. Because I had the gut to pick up the phone without hurting my pride or my ego. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Most definitely.
2: So I have had the beautiful advantage of being able to tap into some of the most successful, brilliant businessmen, not just in this country, but all over Europe because I've worked all over Europe. And I'm not afraid to call and say, I need some advice. Mm. People are good people. Worldwide, people are good people. And they will help you if you're sincere and ask for their help.
1: That's some great advice right there. And I think that's definitely something that will resonate with our with our tribe of, you know, people who are on the come up. That's why we call it the come up podcast because everybody is starting out with nothing, trying to create something. So right before we go, I'm going to, we're going to pretend that we're giving you a microphone and you've got a crowd of people. Let's just say it's the whole world is listening. And, and you have one minute to give some, you know, some advice. If this was the last thing or if this was the only thing you were able to tell them, and these were going to be your parting words, what would be the best advice that you could give
3: to anybody who's listening?
2: Be honest with yourself. Include your entire team. Listen to them. Take their advice. They they are part of your ownership of your company, regardless of how small or how large.
3: So include them.
2: Ask for their help. Ask others. For their help, because it works, and people people enjoy helping someone who is sincere in attempting to grow their business. All of us, all of us, love to be part of success, and it doesn't necessarily have to be ours, because Courtney, if you and I had just gotten off the phone with. Someone that had asked for our advice and our help, and a few months from now that company was thriving. You and I would both be very proud of our involvement with that company mm, definitely don't let your ego don't let your male stupid ego getting being in the way of you becoming successful there it is there it is that is
1: definitely some. Great advice from a very very wise man, Bob. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. This is gonna be the type of episode that people play back multiple times over because it's just littered with gems of wisdom different things that we could apply to our business now and apply to our life even down the road so again, I want to thank you for taking the time and uh getting on the phone with us today
2: Courtney I appreciate it and you've been a delightful host and You've had great questions and it's been thoroughly enjoyable and I hope you'll have me back.
1: Ooh, I can't wait for the can't wait for the round 2. Definitely. All right guys, so that was Robert Thomas Bethel, author of Strengthen Your Business, Fail-Proof Strategies for the from the man who rescued 77 businesses. This is not fiction, everybody. These are real life stories and you heard it here first. Again, I'm your host Courtney Steven signing off and uh, say a little word for the man, Jimmy. He couldn't be there with us today, but he'll be back next week. All right. And Oh, by the way, Bob, do you have a website? Do you have somewhere where the people can connect with you?
2: Yes, it is Robert Thomas Bethel, B E T H E L.com.
1: Perfect. I'd
2: love to hear from you.
1: Perfect. And we'll make sure that we include all of that in the show notes. So check it out. The come up So, check out the book. It's definitely going to make you a better business person and a better leader overall. So until next week, appreciate you guys tuning in. We're out. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find The Come Up Podcast on
0: iTunes and Stitcher. The greatest compliment you could give us is to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. This will also help us get in front of more people.
1: And you can connect with us on Instagram at The Come Up Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at thecomeuppodcast.com for a detailed summary from every episode all the way back to number one, including resource links and downloadable bonus content.